Thanks for joining us coming up tonight. The latest on the indictment of former President Trump, details on the first hearing in his criminal case. We talk with former Trump senior advisor Jenna Ellis. She speaks out on the unprecedented indictment of a former U.S. president. A China analyst says that TikTok matches the definition of a foreign agent. He argues that the U.S. needs a complete tech decoupling from China. And a new profession emerges amid the explosive growth of artificial intelligence. That is prompt engineering. How much they get paid might surprise you. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Good to have you with us. Don Ma here. The latest on former President Trump's indictment. The court says his first hearing will take place next Tuesday in Manhattan. A grand jury indicted Trump for reasons that are still under seal. He's the first former president to face criminal charges in U.S. history. The Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg, Democrat, he probed a payment by former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen to adult performer Stormy Daniels. She alleges Trump had an affair with her, but Trump denies it. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office said it's coordinating with Trump's lawyers on his surrender for arraignment. Trump denies any wrongdoing and took to social media today calling the case a witch hunt. His lawyers say he won't take a plea deal. We'll go in there um, and we'll proceed to see a judge at some point, plead not guilty, um, start talking about filing motions, which we will do immediately. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy tweeted today, quote, Alvin Bragg has irreparably damaged our country. Former Vice President Mike Pence calls the indictment a political persecution. This is nothing short of a, of a political prosecution uh, being affected by uh, a Manhattan DA who literally campaigned on bringing charges against one particular American. But attorney for Michael Cohen, former Trump lawyer and a key witness, insists there is a strong case. Everyone who is out there talking about this being a political case or witch hunt are going to be sorry when they actually read the substance of what these prosecutors have developed in uh, several criminal charges. Several GOP lawmakers earlier wrote to the Manhattan DA demanding information about the case. Bragg's office fired back today saying they're interfering, interfering with the legal process. The White House today said they were not given advance warning of the indictment. The hearing will be open to the public and the press on a first-come, first-served basis. It's not going to be live-streamed. The New York City Police Department is already on high alert. The NYPD ordered all officers to show up in uniform today. A police spokesperson says the department wants to be prepared for anything. Many who are skeptical about the indictment are calling Alvin Bragg a Soros-funded DA. George Soros denies it. He told the news site Semaphore he did not contribute to Bragg's election campaign and he doesn't know him. But the billionaire has donated to the Color of Change PAC. The PAC endorsed Bragg in 2021 and pledged more than $1 million to support him. A Soros spokesman told CNN that while Soros did donate money to PACs, none of it was earmarked for Bragg's campaign. He also said that Soros and Bragg are not in contact. With us live now is Jenna Ellis, constitutional attorney and former senior advisor to Donald Trump. Now, Jenna, the question on everybody's mind is, what exactly is he charged with? Let me get your best guess on what you think that is, and when is the public expected to see the indictment? 
Well, this is a singularly inglorious moment for the country and for the rule of law that even leftists are criticizing as a weaponization of government. We haven't seen the full indictment, but reports have suggested that a at least 34 charges uh, will be coming down in that indictment against former President Donald Trump. I think that this will go a little further than just the hush money that was paid to uh, Stormy Daniels and the allegations surrounding that very long dead claim, um, because reports have also suggested that uh, the, the former president's children and other business associates within the Trump organization have gone in and testified in Manhattan. So this could cover a little bit more. But regardless, uh, this is clearly a political persecution because Alvin Bragg, just like the attorney general Letitia James out of New York, ran their campaign on the weaponization of government against Donald Trump. They said that this is going to be a singular focus that is now a campaign promise coming true. That should never happen in the United States of America. So let me ask you, federal prosecutors looked at the case and didn't pursue it. Why does the Manhattan DA think he has a case? Well, even his predecessor, Cyrus Vance, who clearly was no friend of Donald Trump, also declined to prosecute. And so this now comes as Alvin Bragg, when he was in uh, Cyrus Vance's office, also himself was against this uh, political persecution and this particular prosecution. But uh, since the political pressure has mounted uh, against him and, of course, within Democrat circles, he's now choosing to try to manipulate himself into a legal pretzel and try to extend the statute of limitations, which bars this offense clearly that should only be a misdemeanor, if that, uh, subject to a fine. But he's trying to extend that to five years, which I don't think he can even survive uh, that long in terms of the statute of limitations. So just as a threshold legal question, this case is barred from being brought, yet he's doing it anyway, which shows that it's clearly just political. Now let's take a look at the months to come. How do you think this is going to play out, maybe even before the 2024 election? Well, unless uh, the president's legal team is successful in getting this dismissed in some pretrial motions, if it does proceed to trial, then not only is that an even darker day for our country, but I think it will play into uh, the primary question for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. I think the Democrats are very well aware that this type of litigation is very costly to defend. And so it will, like the Mueller investigation, like impeachments one and two, and all of the other weaponizations of government against the former president will drain his campaign war chest. And I think that that is ultimately what they're hoping for, because they likely would not uh, take this case to trial and verdict before the primary is over with for 2024. So the play here is that they want to drag this out as long as they can. I think so. And I think that this, uh, coupled with the possible forthcoming indictments out of Fulton County, Georgia, and also Washington, D.C., with the special counsel, are uh, looking like a coordinated effort to simply attack President Trump in the court of public opinion and also drain the financial resources so that he cannot mount an effective presidential campaign. And regardless of what anyone believes in terms of who they support as the GOP nominee, it should not be affected as a political weaponization. I think President Trump is entirely correct that this is election interference. Now, can okay. he actually be jailed for, for what he's accused of? Well, we'll have to see the indictment, but if there are felony 
uh, charges, which we do anticipate, then those could carry a, a maximum prison sentence. So this uh, likely could be on the table realistically for Donald Trump. And that's why so many people are saying that this is purely a weaponization of government. However, even under indictment, this doesn't bar President Trump from running for president in terms of the U.S. Constitution that is very clear on the minimum requirements and qualifications for an individual running for president. All right. Thank you so much today, Jenna. Pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Wall Street rallied today. The Nasdaq posted its biggest quarterly percentage gain since June 2020. Signs of cooling inflation boosted hopes. The Fed might ease up on rate hikes. More on that in just a bit. The Dow rose 415 points or 1.3 percent. S&P added 58 points or 1.4 percent. And the Nasdaq gained at 208 points or 1.7 percent. Now, what do you think about a TikTok ban in the United States? A new Pew Research survey shows half of Americans support a government ban on TikTok. Only 22% oppose a ban, and the rest are on short. But as you can imagine, the younger you are, the more likely you are opposed to the ban. That makes sense given how popular the app is with teens and young adults. People who know about TikTok's connection to China are also more likely to support a ban. The survey found 64% of Americans know a Chinese company owns the app. Also, Republicans are more likely to support a ban than Democrats. Joining me is Antonio Graceffo, China economic analyst. Uh, So, Antonio, I was uh, reading your commentary on the Epoch Times. Why do you say that TikTok is a foreign agent? Well, under the... Under China's national intelligence law, every Chinese company is obligated to aid the uh, the CCP in intelligence gathering and to hand over data when requested to do so by the party. And it does not matter where the company is operating or where the data is stored, the company is obligated to hand the data over. So from my understanding of the definition of a foreign agent, or if you read the actual FARA uh, definition of a foreign agent, Uh, that matches the definition. So U.S. lawmakers are talking about a potential forced sale of TikTok to a U.S. company. Do you think that will solve the problem? I don't think it'll solve the problem, but I think it's it's a huge step in the right direction. Without a doubt, TikTok poses a national security threat to the United States. There's no no doubt in my mind that this is true. Let's just drop TikTok. We don't need it. You don't need TikTok. We do need national security. We need to protect ourselves from the CCP. We need to protect ourselves, uh, you know, protect our data, our technology. But at the same time, we don't want American citizens to lose their freedoms. And this is a very difficult uh, balancing act that our lawmakers will have to make. And let me ask you further about that. What do you think of a ban on TikTok? Because as as I understand, there's plenty of apps, uh, a number of apps from from ByteDance uh, that is on American app stores. Are we just playing whack-a-mole here? We are playing whack-a-mole. Actually, any sort of bans we have on particular Chinese companies, sanctions on companies, uh, anything where we're identifying a specific company in China, we're really just playing whack-a-mole. For one thing, it takes months, if not years, for the government to even react to one of these threats. Then it takes a very long time for Congress to 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 vote and negotiate and decide what to do, and then to finally bring sanctions or do what they're going to do. It takes a very long time. And meanwhile, tons of other companies are popping up and tons of other apps. 
And I really think the solution is that we need to just do a full uh, decoupling from Chinese technology. Wow, wow. I just find one final thought. What was your takeaway from the hearing with the TikTok CEO? Oh, it, it was so upsetting. I mean, having having lived and worked in China for so many years and dealt with the Chinese government, it was so upsetting. This guy was so clearly exactly everything about him was 100% textbook what the CCP does. So first of all, oh, he's not Chinese. He's Singaporean. So everything should be fine now. Well, no, it's not fine. We're worried about the CCP getting access to American data, posing a threat to national security. I don't care if the guy that they sent to the meeting is from Singapore or France or New Jersey. I'm concerned about the CCP getting access to our data and posing a national security threat. And then uh, when they asked him, well, um, you know, could, could the CCP ask you for data? Wow, they've never done that. That is so typical of what the Chinese government would say. Oh, well, we would never do that. Oh, well, if you promise not to do that, then I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, and uh, just every step of the way, it was just, it was just absolutely unnerving because it was exactly blueprint textbook what happens, which also confirms for me why we should not even be attempting this anymore. We should just, uh, just ban all the Chinese technology, just immediately ban tech, uh, Chinese technology. We need to restrict, slowly, eventually ban, you know, Chinese investment, um, because there, there's just so many holes in our system. I think that should be good for today, Antonio. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Okay, great seeing you again. TikTok has spent millions lobbying the U.S. government to help the company get into a strong defensive position. NTD Shar Marshall has more on that and other tactics TikTok has used to stay in America. $13.4 million. That's how much TikTok and parent company ByteDance have spent on lobbying since 2019. That includes a record $5.3 million spent on federal lobbying in 2022 according to OpenSecrets.org. Much of the money went to lobbying firms. Attempts have been made by TikTok CEO Xiao Chu to get TikTok users to be more vocal about keeping TikTok alive in the United States. Let me know in the comments what you want your elected representatives to know about what you love about TikTok. Videos have been popping up on influencers' accounts posting appeals to not ban TikTok. It's because of TikTok that I had to go out and get a website. I'm at a point now where I've outgrown my house. It's unclear exactly where ByteDance and TikTok's lobbying money went, beyond the lobbying firms themselves. The companies have spent money lobbying on legislative issues such as data privacy, national security, antitrust, internet data protection, social media moderation, and new technologies. Sean Marshall, NTD News. The rise of AI programs like ChatGPT has given birth to a new occupation, that is, prompt engineering. This is the job of coming up with better instructions for the AI so that it can produce better results. And this is a very serious job. Some are even getting paid over $300,000 a year. The highest paying positions often go to people with PhDs in machine learning. After companies started embracing AI programs like ChatGPT, many found they needed help getting better results. We talked to AI expert Jed McCoskey. He actually used AI to rank universities long before GPT came out. He sheds some light on how important and profitable prompt engineer positions are. If you've been at this for a while, you've created something of value 
to another company. They don't want to mess around with trying five times, 10 times, because they want each prompt to give them exactly what they're looking for the first time. They not only know how to do it, but they also have built up a library of useful prompts for different types of AI. So one for ChatGPT and one for a different program. And um, you can actually go and see the people who've created these libraries and buy one of the prompts if you want for $2, $4, you know, $9. People are selling and buying these prompts on sites like promptbase.com. People are advertising prompts that can make AI programs do things like write books at lightning speed, the advertising prompts that can generate LinkedIn posts. And prompt engineering isn't just about writing prompts for chatbots either. We talked to someone heavily involved with prompt engineering, Chris Duffy. He's the head of AI strategic development at Adobe. By the way, Adobe invented the PDF. Chris Duffy works on prompts for different types of generative AI. The first is text generation. The second is image generation. The third is video generation. And the fourth is 3D generation. And within each of those outputs, there is this art and science balance that is needed for each of those. And so we're, we're quite considerate on how these uh, prompts are not biased for any segment or discipline. And so we're working very thoughtfully on how we can get the greatest output. Duffy believes the prompt engineering profession will last a long time. But is the salary going to remain high for this profession? prompt engineering will become integrated into the daily lives of people who are leveraging these platforms. And this won't decrease the need for prompt engineers. It will only decrease the salary associated with it since it will become a ubiquitous skill. But some experts also believe that the demand for professional prompt engineers may not last long. Adrian Welder from the Alan Turing Institute says that the AI field is changing very quickly. We're taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, inflation cooling down a bit compared to a year ago, according to government data. And stress in the commercial real estate sector. An expert says there's not enough capital in the sector to weather potential problems. More on that coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Inflation appears to be easing up a bit. Today, the Commerce Department reported that the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index rose 5% for February compared to a year ago. It's lower than January's 5.3% gain. The Fed attracts the index as a key way to measure inflation. On a monthly basis, prices ticked up 0.3%, a little, over, a little bit lower than January's 0.6% jump. Stocks rose this Friday morning after the report was released, raising hopes that the central bank's tightening cycle will soon be over. High interest rates and the recent banking turmoil are further straining the real estate sector as well. The sector is already under stress as people move to work from home, making office buildings empty. Joining me is Alfonso Pegatello. He's the founder and CEO of themacrocompass.com. So I wanted to ask you today, Alfonso, give us a general overview of the situation. How is the recent banking turmoil impacting the commercial real estate sector? 
So let's first try to set the stage on the banking crisis. Um, there has been quite a lot of, um, well, scary headlines, let's say, going around in media. Um, I was never subscribing to the idea this could spread into a systemic banking crisis, and it didn't. But look, this is the liquidity situation, and I think there the fears were overblown. What is much more worrying over the medium term is the credit stress in banks, because the Federal Reserve cannot backstop the value of commercial real estate, of, the, of houses, for instance. If banks have toxic assets whose value decreases, the Federal Reserve cannot do anything about these lending exposures, these loans, these mortgages, right? So that is the part that I think worries me more medium term rather than the liquidity stress itself. Right. I think the Fed mentioned that there might be credit tightening uh, situations happening uh, after this banking crisis. So my question to you is, are, are, are you worried about the real estate sector with this uh, credit conditions tightening? Yes, the answer is yes. Look, the real estate market is a market that is highly dependent on abundant flow of credit. Think about it. When you go and buy a house, if the bank is very lenient in mortgage conditions, gives you a good rate, gives you good conditions, you're more likely to go out and purchase houses than not, right? So when lending conditions instead tighten, it means banks are paring back their lending activity. Credit is scarcer. And when such a leveraged market that relies on mortgages, on credit, gets the credit flows drying up, obviously you incur in problems. And look, we already got quite some hints that the real estate market is under pressure. And I think, yes, that is where my attention really is for the medium term, rather than a liquidity systemic crisis that I don't think is very likely. Should we go as far as to say that, uh, are you worried about defaults? Are, are we going there? Look, um, if you look at the delinquencies rather than the outright defaults, but the, let's say late payments in some of these very leveraged markets, you already see some cracks appearing. I talked about the real estate market. Another market similar to this is the auto loan market. So loans behind car purchases, right? And if you see the delinquencies, the late payments having, uh, you know, popping up in these auto car loans, you already see numbers, you know, shooting up to levels that are already relatively close to 2007 levels. So there is stress brewing. You can see it in the first default of a commercial mortgage-backed securities that Blackstone had a couple of months ago. And you can also see it in delinquencies popping up in the auto lending market. So it is already happening. Some stress is brewing in these credit markets. Okay, let me just get one final reaction from you. The Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin said uh, that the commercial real estate sector has some risk, but he says there's enough capital in the system to withstand any problems. What's your take on that? No, there is not enough capital in the system to, to withstand problems. It, it's very simple. There is more capital in the system. Again, it's the result of regulation. Banks have strengthened their balance sheet, but also leverage has gone up dramatically, which means when a leveraged market goes down, it's like a domino that falls. And there are so many interconnections and negative ripple effect that it's very hard to predict in advance whether there is enough capital or not. Let's just hope that this credit deleveraging event doesn't happen. That will be the best outcome for everybody. All right, thank you for your time today, Alfonso. It was so great talking to you. Thank you very much.
And still to come, a social security warning. It might fall short a year sooner than expected, according to a report. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Another gloomy social security report. Released today by the Social Security trustees, the report says Americans' checks will get smaller in 2034. That is, if Congress doesn't step in and fix the problem. It says the combined Social Security trust funds will run dry that year. That means the program's continuing income will only cover 80% of benefits owed. About 66 million Americans received Social Security benefits last year. The problems Social Security and Medicare are facing are due to the aging American population as well as fewer workers are actually paying into the program. And the number of beneficiaries in the program are also living longer. And another reason is an increasingly expensive healthcare system. Some tennis legends are trading in their rackets for pickleball paddles on Sunday. They're competing in a pickleball tournament in Hollywood, Florida to split a $1 million prize. The 2023 Pickleball Slam is at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino and airs on ESPN. The Slam is a multi-year partnership with the Hard Rock. Pickleball combines tennis, ping pong, and badminton. Promoters say the idea for the tournament is for big names in one racket sport to help promote another racket sport. And that's it today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.